Yes, yes, episode 111 of the Independent Minded Podcast with me, your buddy, your pal, your host. The little kid just said my name. By the way, that kid is 42 years old now. That's how old my imaging is. Anyway, hello, my friends, and welcome to another year of celebrations, pontifications, and conversations with independent musicians and creative types. And, uh... We spent all of last year incorporating more of a storytelling vibe to these podcast intros. Because you know me, I'm a regular Jack Kerouac, a Gene Shepard for the 21st century. And so we looked at the research, consulted our focus groups, spent some time in the lab, calculated the numbers, and for now at least, we're tossing it out. Storytelling is out. Our scientists say that you, the people, want to hear more about me. Why? I have no idea. But hey, that's why we spend millions on research. So after my hot take, (laughs) we'll play my amazing intro, dive into the interview portion of your program. This one, a friendly chat, a good-natured ribbing with a new friend who I met at National Public Radio. His name is Josh Hoffman. Josh, the bass player and de facto leader of Washington, D.C.-based indie punk band Mock Identity, band has a self-released LP to their name, plus a short and sweet four-song EP that we're going to hear from. Josh also flies the indie music flag high as part of the team that curates live music at a residence-turned-performance space known as Rhizome. More on that in a moment. But first, we're going to flip the switch on a new feature here on the Independent Minded Podcast, whereas I, Ron Scalzo, indie musician, music journalist, podcaster, writer, Bon Vivant, former Pez dispenser collector, and all-around good guy, waxes poetic on three hot-button topics happening in the world of music. We're calling this feature Ronnie's Rant. Ronnie's Rant. Topic number one, best of lists. So at the end of the year, a lot of reputable music publications, from Pitchfork to Rolling Stone to Consequence of Sound, free plug guys, they release their best of lists. These sites need content like you and I need oxygen and Oreos, and what better way to fill up some space than by listing stuff? Vulture is a site that does this really well with movies and pop culture. And hey, I love to make lists too, so I'm not ranting about the idea of music sites laying out their best albums and singles of the year. I'm a fan of that. Here's where I'm calling shenanigans though. Every year, all these sites put out their best of lists right before Christmas. Why? Because right after Christmas, the world shuts down for about two weeks. And if sites post content around this time, they're not going to get a lot of traffic. Now, how many albums do you think are released in a calendar year? 200? 300? How about 1,000? According to my very unscientific study, we're talking about 1,500 albums, maybe more. So are you telling me that even a well-staffed publication like Spin or Stereo Gum? In 2020, well-staffed probably means less than 20 people. Are you telling me that they listened or re-listened to every album that was released over a calendar year to compile a legitimate best of list? Shenanigans. They skimmed. And why the rush? The rush is because it's a race to get your list up first. Every list that comes after becomes less significant to an audience that moves on to the next thing sooner rather than later. But here's the inherent problem. Music listening shouldn't be treated with such haste. It's something that a lot of guests on this podcast and I lament, especially when you're trying to determine what's the best, what truly resonated with you. 
Sure, you can leave yourself notes along the way, shit you listened to back in March that's still in rotation on your phone or on the front of your record collection, but wouldn't you still re-listen to all those albums when it was time to make your list? The ones you put a gold star next to in order to reconfirm their greatness? Or at least the order of their greatness? The tastemakers are in such a rush to tell you what to taste and be first in on the best of bandwagon that they're doing it all wrong. And if anyone has the responsibility to be doing it right, it's them. Multiple listens, caucuses with other music nerds. Would it be so terrible to give us your top 50 albums of the year three months after the year ends? The music ain't going anywhere, and the artists and the fans will be just as grateful for the recommendation. So Ronald says we gotta do better on this one. Ronnie's rant. Topic number two, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Let's start with the good. Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, huge fans of both of these bands. They influence my own music, I've seen them both live more than once, and I know that Trent Reznor basically told the Rock Hall to eat his dick. And then last year he shows up to induct The Cure, but that makes sense, doesn't it? Trent is a mythic figure. He's a dude in leather pants who won an Oscar. He scores Pixar movies now, but he worked with David Fincher and Damon Lindelof too. He's the Justin Timberlake of industrial music. He has crossover appeal. And for me, he's an idol. Always has been. Depeche Mode influenced tons of great electronic acts that I love. Dark Sense, songs about love, lust, and drugs. Violator, one of the best of all time. Music for the masses, songs of faith and devotion. Legions of fans around the world, huge radio hits, cool videos, live albums. It's a no-brainer. Now to the bad. Whitney Houston in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sorry, I'm not down with this. This is not a knock on Whitney's resume, but there is nothing even remotely rock and roll about Whitney Houston. Nothing. Nada. Zero. Zilch. She is the antithesis of rock. And yet. And yet. Pat Benatar still sitting on the sidelines. Alanis Morissette, alt-queen of the 90s, not even nominated. The bigger problem here is that Whitney's inclusion opens that door a little bit wider. You know what door I'm talking about. The one Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera could walk through one day. Because if Whitney's in, if Janet Jackson's in, why not Mariah Carey? She's rocking. Then you look up and down the ballot, and Judas Priest is snubbed, even Dave Matthews Band, who I respect and admire, but again, not very rock and roll, but still 100 times more rockin' than Whitney Houston. But hey, politics, man, politics. There's no fixing this, of course, but I sure as hell can rant about it. Ronnie's rant! Topic number three, Taron Egerton. The dude who came out of nowhere to portray Elton John and Rocketman doesn't get an Oscar nod the year after Rami Malek wins an Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah, you can argue that the competition this year is better, resulting in the Taron snub. Leo Great playing against type in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver slowly becoming my man crush. It was great marriage story. And Joaquin, the artist formerly known as Lee Phoenix, not surprisingly incredible as Joker. I haven't seen Antonio Banderas or Jonathan Price yet, but two solid actors there as well. Last year, though, Bale, Vigo, Defoe, even Bradley Cooper all formidable opponents, and they give it to fake Freddy in what I thought was one of the most overrated films of the year. And I'm a big Queen fan. That's why this is extra disappointing. I thought Bohemian Rhapsody was so oversaturated with Queen goodwill and flights of fancy that I might even be a little less of a Queen fan after watching that movie. And besides, Wayne's World is still the best Queen movie of all time. So back to Taron. Looked the part, sang the songs, and all he has to show for it is a stinking Golden Globe. Horse sh- 
And Rocket Man wasn't amazing, but it was a hell of a lot better than Bohemian Rhapsody. So that's that. Ronnie's Rants. Ronnie's Rant. We're going to do more of that this year, whether you like it or not. And if you've got something you want to rant about, let's keep it to music. Let's keep it to the arts. I'd love to hear about it. Email me, ron at baldfreak.com, and we might bring your rants to the podcast. Because why rant on Twitter when you can rant right here instead? Okay, I feel better now. Calmer. Very cathartic stuff. Let's take you now to Rhizome, where Josh Hoffman is waiting to talk about being an indie music ambassador, punk rock origins in Iowa, him, not me, his terrible bass guitar teacher, and majoring in the euphonium. And if you don't know what a euphonium is, you're about to find out. So make yourself a hot toddy, warm your boner by the fire, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Josh Hoffman right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the good shit that they do. I usually like will bullshit and then I'll, you know, I kind of do it like Mark Maron style where I'll just cut it in. We're actually like having a conversation, maybe right about now. Okay. You'll, you won't know until you hear it, (laughs) but I am inside, I guess we could call it a house. I mean, Mm -hmm. at one point it was a residential house. I'm not sure. Actually. I think it's always been zoned commercial. Even though like from the outside, it clearly looks like a house. It looks like a house. It possibly at one point was actually a house, but what was in here before us was a hair salon. Wow. Okay. So, so then no wonder I've never been here before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that said, I'm here with Josh Hoffman. What, what do you consider yourself? One of the 
curators, bookers of Rhizome? I'd say bookers. Is yeah. that your? Is that what it says on bookers your business card? And, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bob Boylan was the first person to turn me on mm. to what Rhizome is. Mm-hmm. I know it as a music performance space where mm-hmm. concerts and maybe art exhibits and parties, et cetera, are put on in the Tacoma Park area of Maryland. So right on the kind of like the Washington, D.C. border. And then I found out that you are intricately involved in the bookings here and the goings on. So, yeah. so I'll turn it over to you, Mr. Hoffman. So it is technically Tacoma, D.C. We are right on the border of Tacoma Park. So like it's Eastern Avenue is the the cut. Okay, so, that's right good there. to know. The borders. Yep. Google Maps says yeah. <laughs> Rhizome, D.C. Exactly. So I assume it was the right one. It is. Yep, it's the only Rhizome, D.C. in the area. Um, you know, this space started back in 2016 as more of a place for experimental jazz, kind of more left field type music to really have a place to go. And not to say that the kind of stuff that I book is not that, but I think there's a little bit of difference between like, you know, going to see a show of, you know, people spinning bowls and then like, you know, coming to see a show that I booked, which is like the punk band from New York with drums and a guitar and a normal show that you might see at like DC nine or black hat or something has started kind of seeping into Rhizome a little bit um, just because of, I'd say the history of the people that I've been involved with in the music scene for the last 10 to 15 years. Let me paint a picture for the audience. From the outside, it looks like a residential house. You walk up steps, there's a porch. We're looking out the front windows. There's a CVS across the street and there's condos. condos. If you didn't know that this was a performance space from the outside, outside of the fact that there's a big sign that says Rhizome, you wouldn't expect to see what you normally see in this place. We're sitting in the what would probably be the living room if people were living in this place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some artwork hanging up. Obviously, there's not a show going on here tonight. That's why it's so quiet, but certainly a non-traditional performance space. Yeah, kitchen across the hall. This kind of all started when a crew of folks that used to uh, book at a, at a place called Pyramid Atlantic um, and did this kind of... Uh, curation of experimental shows up in Silver Spring. That space and another space were also closing at the same time. And so it seemed like we really needed another spot for this kind of programming to happen in the city. And luckily that group stepped up and and rented this spot. So um, I moved to specifically like three blocks away um, (laughs) about two years ago. And so, you know, it's about two and a half years then now that I've been actively booking here. What's your involvement in this spot? instrumental in your move is that a big reason why you moved or no it was a, a happy accident yeah a oh, very okay. happy oh, it was like yeah it just so happened that it was so close serendipity um, yeah after we had looked at the space that we're uh, the house that i'm renting now we were like oh yeah it's literally right down the street i don't know being an amateur booker an amateur promoter is a thankless job i'm not taking any money from the shows i'm not getting paid so it's all like volunteer it's all just because i want a place for these shows to happen and it's i take my own time out of like i enjoy it i love it you know i love you know setting everything up and getting it going and having it run smoothly like that's one of the best feelings sure but it's also like <laughs> i can exhaust myself and realize that like maybe have moments of like why am i doing this again but living so close is a big plus because i don't have to like take 30 minutes to get here do the show it's not 30 minutes to get back. It's a five minute walk, you know? So, sure. Right. It makes it easier for yeah, you to, to exactly. put up with bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you're a, a veteran of the DC music scene. You're a musician yourself. In clubs, you know what to expect when you walk through the door as a fan of a band, as a musician is going to play on stage. There's a staff 
it can't be like that here. Can you run me through how do you maintain order like on a show night? What goes on when there's an actual band playing literally two feet away from where we're sitting right now? It definitely changes night to night. You know, it, it depends on who's booking the show, who's who's here helping and running the show and who's playing too. I mean, every show could look different here and every act in a show could look different. So I can't really say there is like an expectation when you come here, you know, and I think that's what makes it great is because you'll never know exactly where the band's going to be set up, say, you know, like I was here for my buddy Chris booked a band called Weeping Icon and they they played pointed a different way than the speakers are pointing. <laughs> as far as who's going to be here working the space, quote unquote, again, we're all volunteers. We expect a certain amount of like, there's no security. We're not like, unless it's a huge show where we're really focused on making sure that like the capacity is can't get hit, you know, then nobody's watching the door. Like we have a box up front and it's usually like, we trust you to throw some money in it sometime throughout the night. There are instances where I will... The honor system. Exactly. And I want to give listeners the impression that this is not a big room we're sitting in. This is probably, I don't know, like eight by eight, like maybe 10 by 10. What's the biggest band that you've had in in this room? That's a very good question. Um, I mean, this noise band Wolf Eyes came last year, and that was probably the, the biggest sales night of tickets that we've had. And I think we fit about 70 people in here. When I say big, um, I mean oh, you mean large the amount of people uh, in yeah, the band. Sorry, yeah. there was a seven-piece band called Landline, I think, that played from Philly. It was their like first ever out of town show, and they were huge. They set up so much stuff, and I was like, "This is kind of insane, guys." Um, <laughs> did you sell them that? I did. I was like, "This is." Honestly, it's and, too much. Yeah. It's like, come on. Like, <laughs> and they wanted me to mic everything. And I'm like, I only have four mics. Like, we can only right. do, Look around, you know, guys. like, yeah. yeah. Um, there are things that hold back, like, huge shows from happening here, obviously. Or, like, you know, I can understand why you'd want the hospitality of a venue and, a, like, a proper sound guy. And <laughs> Well, when you book an but, act here, you probably have to vet the artist ahead of time and prepare them for what they're going to... There's some preparation. Right. It's like, there's no stage. There's no platform. And no you're stage. literally standing on a wooden floor. No inside. monitors. Right. Um, you're getting a door deal. I'm not guaranteeing you any money. You know. It's an opportunity. <laughs> well, what's the crowd like here? It is very diverse. And that's uh, another big thing of why I love this place and why I think it works and people are interested in it is because there is a diversity to the sound, the artists, the people involved. And I think you see that when you come to a show here. We do kind of bigger cultural, like world music type shows that bring out the normal mom and dad you see at like Ace Hardware. They'll come here, you know, for those bands they hear from Brazil that are coming through and they, they want to check out. So... But then, you know, I make a point to make sure that I include a band with at least one femme identifying person in it and one person of color, like in every show at least, with the hope that I, I really hope this space is seen as, as being open and welcome to, you know, everyone. A lot of times it's smaller bands that are just starting out and all their friends want to come out and it's an easy place. They don't have to go to a club. They can go grab a six pack and come here, you know, instead of having to deal with going to a club and paying $15 and then, you know. But you also book a lot of out of town bands. Yeah. And where do they stay when they're here? They, <laughs> they can crash here, actually. I was going to say, like, yep. there's probably room upstairs. We or... have a lot of sleeping stuff up in a weird room <laughs> back there. <laughs> That'll be the next podcast. We'll do it upstairs. Yeah, right. Uh, in the bed zone. Yeah. Um, the but then, zone. I mean, again, I live three blocks away, so a lot of times I'll just have people over at my house, all too. All right. All right. Especially so, if it's friends. So you're so. paying it forward in that regard. Exactly. So, so good for you. Now, I'm an introverted guy. The podcast is a great resource for me to get to know artists and bands that I like, but also, you know, local musicians. 
what is it about your background or your upbringing, your personality that made you brave enough to take this on? Was it just because you were already assimilated in a music scene? I mean, I think it's been a part of being a musician in, you know, a white male musician in rural Midwest America growing up. You're from Iowa. I'm from Iowa. I was born like outside of Chicago and moved to Iowa, like the Quad Cities when I was 12. And of course, like I wanted to play bass and guitar. And so those were the first instruments I picked up. And the music you listen to and the shows you're going to are going to be like the hardcore bands and punk bands that are playing weird spaces and doing weird things. And I remember I went to see the Blood Brothers on the third story of this building. And it was insane. Like it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, this building doesn't even isn't used for this. And here are these people doing this. So it all kind of happened like with the rise of my punk band in Iowa. We found a warehouse for rent for ridiculously cheap that we convinced the landlord that we were artists and just were going to use it for art space and ended up living there and doing tons of shows for two years. Um, After Iowa, I moved here and it was like, it took two or three years to finally get to the point where I found a space like this, you know, and found a place that I could host those kind of shows. So. All right. So I got another uh, year to go before I uh, make my own way in this, yeah, exactly. in this town. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I, you know, I never look at it from a cultural perspective. I'm a New Yorker, a native New Yorker. People equate New York with loud, brash, outgoing personalities. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was growing up playing music, you went to CBGB's, you went to the Pyramid Club. You played at Webster Hall. Like I would occasionally make my way to a house party or a warehouse party as I got older and certainly new guys in bands who would invite me to see bands play. And I always thought that was super cool. Maybe it has something to do with me being a New Yorker, maybe being overwhelmed by the idea of kind of doing it the way that you did growing up in Iowa. It's probably just the size of where you were too. I mean, obviously growing up in a small place like Iowa, like if you're doing it, everyone's involved, you know, like there's not another scene. Like, I don't mean to say, oh, you didn't know where the cool stuff was going on, but it's very possible that weird shit was going on in New York that you just didn't know about, oh, you know? But when you're growing up in the Midwest and that's happening and you're a part of it, there's no secret parties right. that you're not getting invited to. Cause it's, it's not like, enough. Cause right? <laughs> yeah, there's not enough of us to do that kind of thing. So I think you're right. Like, I think it maybe does have to do with the fact that like New York is such a huge place. I can't imagine what it would have been like had I grew up in my teen years and my college years in a big city. Like it might not have worked out that I am like so comfortable in a kind of DIY independent scene. At the same time, you're meeting people from those big cities that are here playing your tiny little town in Iowa and they're having a great time and they're like, oh, cool. Like, I'm going to hit this guy up now whenever I need a show there. And so people kept hitting me up even after I moved here for shows in Iowa. And I'd be like, oh, well, I live in D.C. now. I can try to help you here if you want. And now it's kind of like, okay, now people hit me up for here. Let's get the Josh Hoffman origin story. You're in a band called Mock Identity. You're the bass player in that band. How long has that band been in existence? We just hit our like three year mark. It'll be three years at the end of February. Oh, mazel. That we've been together. Yes, thank you. This is one of our favorite places to play. And we all kind of know each other because of Rhizome too. I was going to um, ask, how did you all get yeah. through here? Yep, pretty much. I mean, so the drummer Nate and I were friends. We lived in the neighborhood, but we were definitely friends just from like being at shows together. And we moved here from the Midwest around the same time. He's from Ohio as well. But then Jeff and Adriana, we just kind of knew from the experimental music scene and from, because they each have solo projects as well. Have you ever tried to hook up with a, a musician on Craigslist? <laughs> I've never done that, no. It's a f***ing nightmare. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's a nightmare. So you don't really know these three people that way until you're in a room and you're jamming and you're rehearsing. Yeah. Was it a natural thing where it's just like, this is it, this is going to be great? Or was it kind of like, 
growing pains. It was all very on the fly. We really turned out songs because it was just a lot of that process of like, someone brings a riff, let's turn it into a song. I mean, no, we don't have any songs past like three minutes though too. So like yes, that I've makes it, <laughs> that makes it super easy to keep it quick and, and turn them out. So you've played 930 club. Yeah, you've, you've played some fun. pretty reputable venues here in the area. Have you toured? We have gone on tour. Yeah. We did a Midwest tour for the LP, which was easy because I'm from the Midwest and I still had all those homies to hit up. Yeah, so. You networking again. <laughs> so that was nice. Um, and then we did a tour in Florida randomly enough. Um, we did five days in Florida and then like a show in Georgia and a couple in North Carolina. What's something that you aspire to? What would get you jazzed is like, hey, I did this or my band did that. Is it opening for a band that you idolize? Is it playing a specific venue? Is it touring? What gets you excited and makes you feel some sort of level of achievement as a musician? I love recording sessions and I love spending time in the studio, especially with a band like that where you're like, oh, we don't need all this fancy stuff, but we have it and we paid for it. So like, let's do it and like, you know, spend the time to to run through everything and fix things. And we got to work with Don Godwin right up here at Tonal Park, actually. Right down um, the street. You recorded yep. your album. Um, you glued to this place. <laughs> yeah. I, everything's hyper local. I'm going to go to the, the bar down the street but right after great, this. Man. Yeah. That's great, That's great. I, I mean, that's awesome that you can kind of, you know, do everything within walking distance. It is really nice. It's a little, I'm spoiled. That's Somebody asked me to go to a bar in Columbia Heights. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Do you want to meet me up here? You need here? some more hard uh, knocks, Josh. <laughs> no, but um, especially when, you know, the band is locked in. And then you're working with someone like Don who gets you. So it all just kind of fits together really perfectly. We recorded and mixed the entire thing in two days, which is pretty Punk rock. unheard of for, <laughs> for most bands, I feel like, that work at Tonal Park. Once that happens, then you get it mastered. And then it's the whole, like... <laughs> getting the vinyl together when you don't have a label to, you know. Right. We can talk about that for hours. That's when <laughs> turns sour. Yeah. I almost think you're more proud of the product at the end because no one else touched it. You know, okay, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> talk to me about the bass. Who put the bass in your hands or did you find it on your own magically? Yeah. So kind of, as I said, it was the first thing that I really wanted to play. Thanks to my mom for just going to the music store and buying us a bass. Um, I actually played cello when I first started music in third grade. That was the real start. But then we moved to Iowa and they did not have an orchestra program. And so they handed me a euphonium, which I actually have here tonight. I'm about to uh, play some euphonium horn with my friend. What's um, a euphonium? It's like a small tuba. Um, do you have it here? I do. Oh, we should take a picture with <laughs> I'll it. I'll pull it out, yeah. Um, oh, pull out the... That's the headline of the podcast. Josh yeah. Hoffman pulls out his euphonium <laughs> exactly. on the next Independent-Minded Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the euphonium is what... I went to college for. So that's what my degree is in euphonium performance. I mean, obviously, bass has stayed with me through all that, too. Like, that's what I play in bands. I, I don't play euphonium in rock bands, you know. It's not really made for that. So, like, I've never really had proper training on bass. Like, I had a very strange teacher in high school that, like, had the worst style ever. Like, I remember my, uh, my high school teacher coming up to me because my bass teacher came and played at my high school and my my teacher came up to me after. He's like, "That's the guy you take lessons from." Oh like, my god! Did you see how me? he was playing? Like, <laughs> that's you should take lessons <laughs> from someone catty. else. I mean, we go through some like normal scale stuff or like technique, but yeah, I would mostly he'd just be like, "Bring like CDs of songs you want to learn, and we'll we'll work them out and we'll learn them." And so like I'd bring like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Tool, and like it's not natural to me to be like, "Oh, it's oh it's G minor." Like here's what I can do on my bass. Like I have to kind of have stuff written out. I remember junior high, I had to have like my bass solo like written out in notes. 
And like, that's not what a solo is supposed to be though. So I feel like my, well, who my, does a bass solo? Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. That's a good point. Um, I think just being a musician in general and, you know, going to school for music, I, I feel like any instrument, I feel like I can pick up and kind of after a while, figure it out. I feel like that's what I did for bass, but I've just been doing it for 15 years, you know? <laughs> Where do you see yourself a year down the road? What do you want to be doing? Do you want to be working for the man or you want to be the man? The future is uh, open at the moment. I, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen at this point. Um, I just had a partner actually leave town, so I might end up, and she's in Kansas City, so I might end up in that direction sometime this year, but I did not want to leave this yet. Um, Mock Identity, Rhizome, NPR. I think I have a lot of good things going on that I do. I want to see out, you know, as opposed to Iowa where it was like everything's crumbling. You know, this time it was like, no, you've everything's matured. kind of, yeah. yeah. You've learned some life you know, lessons since Yeah, then. everything's kind of all fallen into place in the last couple of years. I've been meaning to, to join this Balkan brass band. And now that I have my horn, I dusted it off the other night to work with my friend Peter. And I'm hoping I can pick that back up again and start playing in a brass band too. So we'll see. Yeah. I was going to say, if you leave the euphonium industry, yeah, who's going to fill that void? There is another euphonium player in town. No way. So, yeah. Um, no way. There. You'd be surprised, so, you know. I would be so often. Yeah, I've been like, "Oh, you're a euphonium player too." Like, there are a lot of us out there. You just, you know, I didn't even know what a euphonium was, I and I've been playing music for God knows how long. Well, neither did yeah. I. Yeah. yeah, when I moved, they handed me it because they were like, "Oh, you play cello, you know how to read bass clef, so here's a euphonium. Like, play that now." So, yeah. Well, the next time I see you off campus, it's gonna be here at Rhizome. Yeah, I'm so. extra curious now that I'm sitting inside the space during off hours. I'm excited that you're still doing this and I yeah, have thanks. a connection in. I will definitely put money in the box, but I expect <laughs> VIP. Like, can you rope off like some VIP oh, sure. expansions for me or something? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll, we'll figure that out. I for sense sure. you're placating me a little bit, Josh. <laughs> Josh Hoffman, the band is Mock Identity and he is the man, Josh Hoffman. Thank you so much for the time, man. I thanks, Ron. is called scam likely earlier in the podcast we heard where you live both off mock identity's latest four song ep it's available as a seven inch and in digital form get the goods find out more at mock 
Big thanks to Josh for the conversation and the hospitality. And to you, loyal listener, we did it again. We can't be stopped. Listen, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and iFartRadio. Excuse me. I want to give a shout out to my friend John Myers and TheVinylDistrict.com. Are you a fan of records? The Vinyl District's free GPS-supported record store finder app houses the largest database of existing record stores on the planet. Go to the app store on your wireless doohickey and take it for a spin. And visit the website, TheVinylDistrict.com. Check out this podcast and other podcasts like it. Cool concert footage, record reviews, and more. Hear archived episodes at baldfreak.com slash podcast. And if you want to be featured on Independent Minded, just send an email and all your money to ron at baldfreak.com and we'll set up some sort of payola schedule that works for everyone. Next time on Independent Minded, a look inside the world of independent community radio. Remember radio? I'm talking with Tacoma Radio DJ The Night Nurse and with the station's program director Steve Hoffman who sits down with me inside the radio station's bathroom. So many jokes, so little time.